Now as we come to the scripture, let me ask you please uh, to pray, to pray with me. Father in heaven, uh, we pray that you would help us now to see and to understand this word. We know that you speak to us, and as we'll see here, it doesn't, doesn't necessitate fire or earthquakes or wind, uh, it simply takes your word. And so I pray, God, that you would now speak to each of us through this, in this word, we would hear your voice, we'd be encouraged by it, we'd be strengthened by it, we'd be given grace through it, it would sustain us and enable us, Father, to live our lives in such a way that shows that you are great and all-sufficient. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Turn, please, to 1 Kings and chapter 19, 1 Kings and chapter 19, please. By the way, some folks have asked me from time to time why it is that we don't put up on the projection screens the passages of Scripture. And you know I have a reason for not doing that. The reason is that we're to listen to it as well. There's a, there's a training to listen to the Word of God and to, to cast our attention there. So... If it's up on the screens, it can be distracting to some and all of that, or, or you might just look at it and not listen, and, and might look at it and not listen and not even read it. And why do I say that about you? Because I know us. So it's good. We just, so this is just sort of training. So listen, if you have it before you, if that helps you, great. But listen, learn to listen to the word of God. Hear it, please. Verse 1. Ahab told Jezebel that all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid and he rose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. And there he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very jealous, uh, jealous for the Lord of hosts, for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. 
And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but, but the Lord is not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria, and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Mehaloh, uh, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall, put Jehu to, uh, shall Jehu put to death, and the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. And I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, every mouth that has not kissed him. Now, it's a very intimate time between this prophet and God. A very intimate time, as you, can, as you can tell. Now, the common understanding of this passage, which is very helpful to us, is one that, uh, that lays out this point of despair and Elijah and asks the question, what do we learn from that? How does that help our lives? What does that tell us when we're despairing? You see, that's the question that's asked. It's a helpful question. I'll ask that question, lay out what I think is an answer to it from this text, but then suggest that that's not the best question. There is a second question that's more helpful, all right? So you see where I'm headed with this. I want to take what we normally think when we read this passage. It's a good thing to think. Uh, many think it and preach it and that alone. But I think there's something else. Not only I, but of course, others who have found who think the same. So I want to lay out these two helpful and complementary, but helpful ways, I think, to understand this. Now, you know the context. You know what leads to this despair, really, of, 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 of Elijah you remember that he had just come off one of the most dramatic events in all of history. It must have been uh, incredibly overwhelming and, 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 and exhilarating for him. He, he had the whole nation's attention, if you will, on, on Mount Carmel. You remember there was this God contest that he set up between God and, and, and Baal, this, this God that was, had invaded the worship of Israel. You remember it had invaded the worship of Israel because Ahab was king, the wicked king, and he married Jezebel, and she brought this God Baal into the worship of, of, of Israel, and, and Baal was this storm god or, or god of the earth, if you will, god of provision, god of fertility, and, and people looked in Israel both to God and to Baal for their provision, and so they violated God's covenant, remember his covenant was that you shall have no other gods before me, and yet they depended upon, they looked to Baal as well uh, for their provision, uh, as well as for meaning in life, as well, as well as for sustaining life, as well as for life itself. And God says, no, 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 I'm the only one. I'm the one you're to look to for meaning and for direction and, and really for the joy of your life. That's real life. You want to live a real life. You want to know real life. There's only real life that comes from me. If you seek another, you'll die. And a curse, therefore, 
of this covenant with the nation of Israel through Moses was that the rain would cease. And when the rain would cease, then the crops would die. And when the crops would die, there would be famine in the land. And when there's famine in the land, the people would know death as well. And so that would be the curse, a curse of this covenant. So Elijah, the prophet, comes along and as, as a prosecutor, if you will, of this covenant of God. That is, as a prophet, he comes and he pronounces this curse. And it didn't rain for three and a half years, you remember. And then God uh, calls him and he goes up on Mount Carmel and he sets up this, this contest, if you will, between God and Baal. And you remember what happens. God wins. There's this two, there's two sacrifices made to bulls laid out and, and, and wood laid on the fire. And, and the challenge is if, if Baal is God, then he'll light the fire and he'll, he'll, he'll make his own sacrifice, if you will. If God is God, then, then he'll do it. Now, you remember that the prophets of Baal did everything in their power, even cutting themselves, shedding their own blood in order to get Baal to listen. But he, but he did nothing happen because, of course... Baal isn't anything. He's no thing. He's nothing. And Elijah made it as difficult as possible for God. I laugh when I say that because there isn't anything impossible, really. Nothing can make it more difficult for God to do what he wants to do. But, but anyway, from a human perspective, he wet it, you know, with water. So it was soaked. And thus people would think there's no fire could ever arrive on that. And then there it was. God made sacrifice. In essence, did exactly what was supposed to take place, that atonement be made for the sins of the people. And you remember, at least at that moment in time, that people noticed all of that, and, and, and probably out of the drama of the moments of the Lord, he is God. Well, then, uh, Elijah knew that it was going to rain. And so he tells Ahab, you better get home because it's going to rain. And because if you don't get home now, you're going to get stuck. The wheels of your chair will get stuck because it's going to rain so much. And so, so Elijah, I'm sorry, Ahab begins to, to, to head off home to Jezreel. And, and God gives Elijah, it appears, strength. And he runs ahead of the chariot all the way to Jezreel. Now, I can only imagine what is in the mind of Elijah when they get there, when they get to this palace, this place where the king is living. You can only suspect that he thinks of this great victory that now Ahab is going to restore the throne of Israel to its righteous rule, that very place where it belongs under God, you see. Why wouldn't he? I mean, look at what's happened. Baal has been just discredited, destroyed. God has been shown to be the great God of all. And so why wouldn't Ahab then restore the throne to this righteous rule under God? And, and so Ahab comes in and he speaks to, to Jezebel, his wife, about what has happened. And she's not affected at all, except to say, we need to kill Elijah. There's a sense in which she, she swears a contract out on Elijah's life. And Elijah gets wind of this and knows of this. And so not only did Ahab not himself repent and, and, and not restore the throne to the righteous rule of God, and not only did Jezebel not repent, and in her unrepentance Ahab didn't cast her out of the nation, but rather there was a conspiracy now to take Elijah's life. And so this says that he run in, ran in fear. I don't know that that's the best translation. We'll talk about that in a minute. But that he was afraid and, and he arose and ran for his life to bear to Beersheba. Yeah. About a hundred miles away. 
belonged to Judah. He would be safe there, by the way, because in Judah, Jehoshaphat was king. He would no doubt offer him protection from the wicked king of Israel. But he came to Judah. Um, and then he went on a day's journey into the wilderness and, 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 and then ultimately to Mount Horeb. To Horeb, the Mount of God. Really, we know it better as Mount Sinai. So keep that in your head. But notice what happens when he's in the wilderness. Notice how he lays out his despair to God. He says, he said he asked that he might die. That wasn't a suicide message to God. It isn't that he was going to take his own life. He's asking God to take away his life. He asked that he might die, saying, it's enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I'm no better than my father's. And he says, listen, all this that happened, this great judgment that came on the, the, the prophets of Baal and all of that, all that happened, God showing himself really to be God, nothing really has changed. Because prior to this time, the prophets were killed. And now I'm going to be killed. Nothing has changed. It's all the same. I guess we're done. So take my life. You can feel, if you will, the despair in all of that. So the angel actually goes to sleep, gets some rest. No doubt he's exhausted in the midst of this. Get some rest. Angel touches him. Angel bakes him a cake. Pretty miraculous cake. It sustains him for 40 days and 40 nights. It's not your average, you know, cake. And he goes to Mount Sinai. God meets him there. God says, Elijah, what are you doing here? Now, it couldn't have been a rebuke, a rebuke because God led him there. God knew why he was there. The question wasn't for God. This wasn't a quiz so God could get the answer to it. But it was, it was something for Elijah. It was an invitation, if you will, for Elijah to reflect, for Elijah to think about, where am I? What am I doing here? Why here? So he began to think about that. And, and you notice how Elijah lays it out. Um, he, says, he says, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, now, when he refers to God as the God of hosts, that's the expression meaning the armies of God, the might of God, the judgment of God. I've been very jealous for that. In other words, I've been the prophet of God to bring this word of curse, this word of judgment, and that's what I've done. Uh, and he says, uh, he says, for the people of, and he said, basically, uh, the people deserved it. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, forgot a bit about Obadiah and all those other prophets at the moment, but I and, and I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And there he is. And God speaks to him in this whisper. He comes. He sends him out, asks him the same question. <laughs> Elijah gives the same answer. And then God speaks to him again and says, well, first of all, the journey isn't over. You're going to have to anoint a couple of kings and a prophet, and judgment will still come through them. Those who escape the hand of one will be killed by the other. Those who escape the other will be killed by the third. And so judgment's still coming. But there's something here you need to know too, Elijah, that there's still 7,000 who haven't bowed the knee to Baal and kissed him. That is to say, I've got my people. Now, what do we get from all of that? Well, first it is that, again, this most common understanding, most common application is, is to, 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 to help us deal in the context of our own despair. I think, for instance, of this passage in the New Testament in Galatians, in chapter 6 and verse 9, where the apostle writes this, and he says, let us not grow weary 
of doing good, for in due season we'll reap if we do not give up. So, so you kind of hear that in the life of Elijah. He's been doing good, but he's now weary, to, weary to the point of despair, discouragement, depression, really. Uh, that's, that's, his, that's where he finds himself, uh, finds himself in this moment. And so we ask the question, what really led to this? What really leads to this kind of weariness, this kind of despair, this kind of, this kind of discouragement? And, and again, I ask this because, because we resonate with that, don't we? I mean, we experience that in the course of life. There isn't any of us that doesn't know some despair, some discouragement, some weariness. So the apostle in Galatians says, we're not to be weary even in doing, in doing good. And that's what Elijah had been doing. He had been doing good. He had been doing what God had called him as a prophet to do. And yet he finds himself in this in this particular position. And, and so he gained something here just by the fact that he rests and he eats and all that. And, 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 and we read that and we go, yeah, that's true. That's true. We can become physically weary from this and we must be careful that we get our rest and food and that's a wise thing, certainly. I don't think it's the main point here, but it's certainly a wise thing here. It's what many take from this, a wise thing that God's concerned about us. So he gets some rest, gets some food and all that. That's important. Being physically weary only makes all these other situations worse. But, you know, we can become weary in, in well-doing because uh, we may well be doing it out of pride, doing what we're doing out of pride. So some think, I don't, by the way, but some think that Elijah is being prideful here. He says, God, look what I've done. I've been jealous for, for, for the Lord, the God of hosts, and, 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 and you just haven't really cooperated. You know, I've been, I, I, I've, been, I've been jealous for you, and, and I did all of this, and, and now we're back at the square one. They want to kill the prophets. So nothing's really improved here. And so Elijah's thinking something. Well, look at what I've done. I deserve better than this. Well, what's the remedy to that if that's the case? The remedy to that would be repentance. It would be repentance us to realize, no, this isn't mine, it's God's. He's the good, sovereign God over all of this. He's the one who is sovereign over the affairs, and so to trust him, to repent, to turn. If it's doing it it's out of pride for our own glory, then we should repent, you see. I don't think there's any of that here. I don't think God is calling Elijah necessarily to repent here, but that's a, a word that's helpful a word that's helpful to us. We could be doing something for the wrong reasons. We could be doing it because we have a, uh, wrong expectations about what the outcome is going to be. Have you ever done something, even, the, even for the Lord, if you will, even in the context of the life of the church, even in the context of ministry, even in the context of witnessing, even in the context of helping others and in the name of Christ, and it, it just doesn't seem to work. Worse than that, <laughs> they actually turn against you. And you wonder, God, what's the deal? Why did this happen like this? Let me just lay this out. God, I was jealous for your name. I, I, I did what I thought was right to do. I, I had some risk to myself, and, and I did this, and, and now they've just turned against me. It, it hasn't helped at all. There hasn't been any improvement whatsoever. Here, I, I find myself, you see. Oh, that's closer, isn't it, I think, to what's going on in the life of Elijah, and God then speaks to him, speaks to him this word. He says, you're not alone, because you see, 
One of the things that can bring weariness to us is to think we're doing this all alone. He says, you're not alone. One of the things that can bring us to weariness is that we think we can, we're doing something and it has no value, no meaning at all. And he says, oh no. You thought that when you did this, it would be done. It's not. We're still going on. There, there's still stuff to do. There's still a couple of other kings to anoint. There's still another prophet that's going to come after you. Uh, there's still more judgment to come. And there's still a people that I'm gathering for myself. So Elijah, you just, you're midstream here. You, you think you're the end, of the, uh, the end of the line, but you're not. You're just in the mid. So here, let me, let me change your expectations about what life is to be. So, so get it right. You thought Mount Carmel was it. You thought that was the capstone of it all. You thought that at that point judgment would come and, and restoration would happen in Israel. No, not finished yet. I only have 7,000. I have 7,000, but I'm going to get more. And so we're moving along here. You're in the middle of it. Set your mind right. Get your expectations correct. And so you say, so, so God comes and he speaks this word to Elijah. He speaks this word to Elijah about what is really true, what his expectation should be. Elijah realigns, if you will. And we have to take this as well, don't we? That quite frankly, that doing good can make us tired. But there's a difference between tired and weariness. When the apostle writes about weariness from doing good, he's saying it's burdening you. It's bringing you down. Tired is a good thing. You should be tired every night. Right? If you're not tired every night, then it means you really didn't live that day well. Because we're, we're, we're made to get tired at the end of the day. So don't feel bad about that. Feel bad if you're not tired at the end of the day, you see. Because there's something worse than being tired, and that is what's worse is, is living an unspent life. Living a life where you didn't spend yourself. You know, that great expression of athletes, basketball players this time of year, they always say, we want to leave it all out on the court. What do I mean by that? They say, we want to spend it all there. That's where it's to be spent. And you see, I, I worry about my own life. Am I going to die with life still to live? I haven't spent it yet. I want to spend it, you see. <laughs> I, I would rather be weary from time to time, exhausted from time to time, tired from time to time, knowing that I had spent it. Than not. You see, I have a great fear. This is just a little opinion. I shouldn't burden you with my opinions. But in our day, we're very conscious. We're trying to, you know, the great lesson is we need to learn to say no so that we don't overcommit or commit in the wrong places. And I have a great fear that we've learned to say no too well because what will really burden us what will really make us weary more than anything else is selfishness. We've been made to love. And when we have opportunities to really love, and we continue to turn them down so that we can, whatever, leisure ourselves. And I worry about me, I worry about us all. It's just a bit of an opinion. You can take that however you wish. But Elijah, you see, there he is. Now, what I don't want us to miss, the place I want us to go is here. That 
Elijah is taken to a particular place. And the significance of the event is that particular place. Now, I don't know about you, but as I've been reading through the life of Elijah, I hear an echo of another Old Testament person. Another who was fed miraculously bread. Another whose life was sustained for 40 years. One who knew great, a great event followed by idolatry. One who God had taken to a particular place and spoken to him. While his face was hid and he was in a cave, if you will, the cleft of a rock. One who found himself with the same weariness, wanting the Lord to take him. This one, Moses. You see, Moses had been at this same mountain, Mount Sinai. And a couple of very significant things happened at this particular place. One, God made covenant with Moses and thus the nation. And this great covenant of law that came down. And you remember that upon receiving this great covenant, this law, Moses comes down the mountain. And, 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 and what are the people doing? They have a golden calf. Moses becomes discouraged. He goes back up on the mountain at God's bidding to sort of get the law once again. And, and, and how, is, how is Moses sustained? You remember, he comes to God. We have this in the end of Exodus 32, in the beginning of Exodus, I'm sorry, the end of Exodus um, 33, in the beginning of Exodus 34. And Moses goes to God and he says, I need your help. Show me your glory. And you remember what God does with Moses. He says, listen, you can't see me front on, so you have to hide yourself in the cleft of this rock. And then he says, I'm going to pass by you. My name is going to be proclaimed to you. and My name is going to be proclaimed to you as I pass by you. And here's, here's my name, he says to him. I am the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sins, but who uh, will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers of the children and children's children to the third and fourth generation. So what does God do with Elijah? In his weariness as being this prophet of the covenant, he takes him back to where the covenant was first established, first made, first cut. And he says to Elijah, why are you here? Do you know why you're here? And Elijah begins to unburden his soul about what's going on. And so God takes Elijah, who's in this cave, you see. Now, if I were a tour guide in Mount Sinai these days, I would try to convince you that the cave of Elijah is the same cleft of the rock of Moses. But I have no evidence for that. But if I were a tour guide, you'd believe me. But isn't it interesting that here they are, both in caves, clefts, hiding their face because Elijah wraps his face, you see. And God comes in, same language, passes by him, and he speaks to him. 
But what's fascinating to us here is that in the days of Moses, God put on great shows at Mount Sinai when the law was given, when the covenant first came. What do we find? That we find fire and we find smoke and we find great wind and we find the earthquaking and all of that. And God was there and the people knew it. Well, all that happens right here again for Elijah. All these great displays of the power of God, wind and fire and the earth quaking and all of that. And there's a sense in which uh, Elijah doesn't hear God in the midst of that, not in the big things, not like Mount Carmel, not the big things, but he comes to him and, and he just whispers. And you get the sense that Elijah says, oh. Somehow he's not shaken by the earthquake. He's not shaken by the fire. He's not shaken by the wind. It's that voice very word of God passes by. He comes to Elijah again, asks him the same question. What are you doing here? Do you get it? Do you understand? Why are you here? And Elijah gives him the same, same answer. I've been jealous for the Lord, the Lord, the God of hosts. You see, the people deserved it because they, they worshipped other gods. They destroyed your altars. You're going to kill me. God says, all right. And the word that comes to him is, there's still work to be done, Elijah. You're in the midst of this. Don't give up. I've got work for you to do. There's a couple of kings that need to be anointed, a prophet that needs to be anointed. You're not alone in this. They'll come. Judgment will come, but so will grace. I'm still in the midst of this. What you did is not the end all of end alls. Understand, Elijah, it's still going on. And I think it's that word of God that strengthens him. Elijah would come to know. We've come to know that the work of Elijah wasn't the end of it at all. That there would come another whose work would be the end of it all. Another who was zealous for the Lord, jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. Another who would come and bring to fruition fulfillment this great, this great covenant. Elijah would see him, you know, even at that Mount of Transfiguration. He would hear the voice of God saying, ah, this is the one. This is my beloved son. This is him. Do, do what he says. This is the one. He's come to do all of this. So there was another covenant, if you will, that was laid out on another mountain, signified for us on the night that Jesus was betrayed. He took bread, he broke it, he gave it to his disciples, and he said, this is my body which is given for you. And the same way he took the cup, and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Shed for many for the forgiveness of sins, do this in remembrance of me. We see this one Jesus was to Elijah to come to us, has come, made this, this covenant. And I think on this morning, as we come here to where this covenant was made, he asks us this question. What are you doing here? 
And you see, that question is a question to us like it was to Elijah. It's a question that really is an invitation for us to unburden our souls. To just lay it out. God, this is my life. There's some sadness in that. There's some joy in that. There's some strength in that. There's some weariness in that life. God, this is my life. And implied in all of that, when we come to this covenant and we say, this is my life, we ask the question, can I live? Can I really go on? Physically, spiritually, in every way. And the Lord comes to us and says, yes. There's work to be done. There's still stuff to do. It's still good work. Maintain life, you see. All on the basis of the fact that I've come and I've done it. It's not on your shoulders, Elijah. It's always been, always will be on the shoulders of Jesus. He's just, judgment will come, comes. But yet, he'll always have his people. Always have his people. See, one of the things that's convicting to me about the whole Elijah thing is that what really moved Elijah to despair wasn't, I don't think, his fear. Really, in Hebrew, it just simply means that Elijah saw what happened with Ahab and Jezebel. We infer fear, but he just saw it, and he knew what that meant. He knew that there wasn't going to be restoration at that point in time in Israel, and it troubled his soul. And I asked the question, what troubles my soul? <laughs> it's usually when I'm inconvenienced. Is it the sin of the people of God or the sin of the world or my own sin that troubles me, you see. That's what really brings me to despair, that, that this isn't glory, and that's what I long for, you see. I think for believers, deep down under all that's on the surface, that's really what grinds at us. We, we want to see it. We want it to be over. We want to see the glory of God. And so he whispers to us. He gives us glimpses of it. He gives us various things. This is my glory. I'm showing to you. I am the great God. I'm slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. We know that above everybody else, don't we? He speaks that to us. And he says, ah, that's who I am. Trust me in this. I'm just and I'm gracious and I'll bring it to pass. And that lifts the burden of our souls. It really does. Well, that may not be the surface thing for us, but, but that's the, really the heart of it. And he lifts the burden of our souls. He says, you're not alone. I'm with you. You're not alone. You have each other. Yes, it isn't finished yet, but it will be. And what should prove that to you is I have my people now. You're part of that. And I'll have my people throughout all of history. And I'll have my people for all eternity. This invitation to return to where the covenant was made is an invitation to 
unburden our souls to hear the whisper of God say, ah, I really am God. It's on me, not on you. Rest. See, that, that's the bread then that sustains. That's the bread that sustains not for 40 days and 40 nights or 40 years and 40 whatevers, but for all eternity. It's that bread that sustains us, that strengthens us, that enables us to go. He says, I, I'm with you, and it's on me, trust me, rest. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray now that you would take this bread and this juice and set it apart in such a way that we know that we're in the very presence of Jesus, and we know that it's on him, that we know that it's he for us. We know his death for ours, his righteousness for our sin. And this deep longing we have in our souls for it all to be right, for everything to be restored, for everything to reflect the glory of God. And that longing will be satisfied. For you're still at work, in and through us. You still have your people and always will. And your plan will not be thwarted. And thus we can live. So I pray, Father, that you would meet us here in your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. That we'd meet him here and that we would receive strength even as we unburden our souls upon him and that we would receive from him faith, grace, help for every time of need. And this I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I remind you this table isn't the table of grace, Evangelical Presbyterian Church. It's the table of the Lord. He invites to it all those who know their need, understand themselves to be sinners in the sight of God without hope, except in his sovereign mercy, who receive and depend upon our Lord Jesus as he's offered to us in the gospel as the Savior of sinners and all those who desire then to live as a follower of Christ. These two sections come down this aisle to my left, these two down the aisle to my right. Take a piece of bread, dip it in the cup, and as you do, hear the Lord saying, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? And your answer is to receive from Jesus. Please come.